a study that I've entitled this morning, It Matters What You Do. Now, the moment I come up with a title like that, then people automatically, oh, it's all about works. It's going to be about works. It's about what you can do. Not at all. And in fact, the best way that you can tell people what's in your heart is by what you do with your hands. The best way that you can tell people about what's in your head is what you do with your actions. That in fact, if you truly believe something and you believe that it's true, then by very definition of truth, you act on that truth. It can't be held in a vacuum. And so as we have begun the Sermon on the Mount with the many Beatitudes, now we take the rest of the condensed Sermon on the Mount because Luke does the same thing with the Sermon on the Mount that he did with the Beatitudes. He condenses it down. Matthew's account is three very long chapters. And here, just a single chapter, and we find the close to the Sermon on the Mount. This morning, it matters what you do. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for loving us. Thank You for showing us with the cross that it matters what You do. Lord, You didn't consider it robbery, though being equal with God, to suffer and die on Calvary's cross for us. You were perfect. We were not. And You did what needed to be done so that we might have eternal life. Lord, help us to model that in the way we live our lives. Help us to be what You are. Lord, gracious and kind and loving in action. We love You. We praise You. We give You this time. Lord, speak to us now through Your Word, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the attitude of gratitude, agape in action. And I can can pretty much tell you that most of you if not all of you, I would even venture a guess all of you, believe far more what people do than what people say. Amen? Somebody can tell you all day long that they love you, but if they smack you in the face every time they see you, you're not going to believe they love you. Amen? If someone says they have your best interest in mind and then they go about selfishly doing whatever they want and pleasing themselves, you're not going to believe that they have your best interest in mind. Amen? That's the way truth works. Truth is born out in action. And so now we have the beatitude behavior, if you will. Pick up in verse 27. But I say to you who hear. That's a statement. They're all listening. The question is, what are they doing with what they're hearing? That's the issue for most of us. And I can tell you one of the great frustrations of pastoral ministry is knowing that you've faithfully spoken the truth and then watching people make their own decisions as to whether they're going to do it or not. And then you live long enough to find out, oops, Jesus was right. God was correct. His word was true. But people choose not to do it. And so he says, love your enemies. One of the hardest things in the world to do, isn't it? Most of us, I think, struggle with loving friends sometimes, amen? Forget enemies. 
I mean, not all of us are, you know, as loving and kind as everyone else. Do good to those who hate you. You get in the picture here? He's now going to explain in great detail how the Beatitudes work out in the agape actions. The things that we're going to do with what we are in Christ Jesus. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. Real faith produces real works. It is that simple. And you can't really say that you have the real faith if the real works are completely absent. And that's part of the problem with people who believe in cheap grace. You see, there are a lot of people who believe that because grace is free, that it's also cheap. Grace is not cheap. Cost God His Son, did it? Cost you your life. You had to give your life to find Him. Amen? You handed over Lordship. It's not cheap. Very costly. And because many people believe that grace is just simply a free gift, and it ends there, that they can behave however they want. And frankly, not so much. Amen? That's really the case. It's not to be legalistic, but it does matter what you do. And so, very radically, Jesus begins with our behavior towards our foes. And I believe the reason that he starts there is it sets the tone for everything else he's going to say. Because in expressing how this works out in, with people you don't like, it gives you a very real sense of how difficult this can be. Because I don't know about you, I'm not real fond of people abusing me. I, I'm not, you know, I don't like people speaking evil of me. When I hear somebody said something, my response, probably like yours, is, an, oh boy, I hope they blaspheme me some more. It usually creates something in me that I would call conflict. And so what Jesus is talking about is how's that conflict going to get resolved, not with your brother, in your own heart. What are you going to do with it when somebody says something horrible about you? What are you going to do when somebody declares with their actions that they think that you ought not be on this earth? And so he begins with those that we have major issues with. And in reality, our love is born out of exactly how we act. And so he begins to speak to this issue. Because here's the problem with a lot of the body of Christ. You can't tell the difference between the church and the world. It's a major problem in our day and time. You have Christians acting like heathens and heathens acting like Christians, and so everybody's confused. It's not supposed to be confusing. It's supposed to be very obvious who Christians are by the way we act. That's why Jesus said, and by this all men, everybody will know that you are my disciples if you have act out love one for another. It's visible. You can see it. Then people will know the difference. 
And it's true with every other part of your relationship with the Lord. So when somebody comes and says, well, I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a drunk Christian, or I'm an adultering Christian, or I'm a, you know, name your sin, I don't care what you pick, I'm an extortionary Christian. I just, I just have a thing with extortion, and I'm okay as a Christian. It's contrary to the new character you have in Christ, amen? You're telling somebody you're not actually a Christian by the way you act. Your words don't matter. You can tell people you're saved all day. But if the things that you do belie what you say, they're going to believe what you do. And frankly, they're not going to want to be a part of a body that includes people whose Jesus' power is so minimal that it can't redeem an extortioner. It can't change an adulterer. It cannot change a drunkard or a drug addict. It doesn't do anything. Then it just becomes another philosophy. And philosophies never change lives. Christ changes lives. You're actually a living epistle according to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It says you are our epistle written on our hearts to be known and read by all men. When people see you, they're supposed to go, that's what a Christian looks like. Family of God, it matters what you do. And I can tell you that when these words were spoken, I say unto you who hear, love your enemies. Do you know that Jesus loved Judas as much as he loved John? Think about it for a second. Jesus loved Judas as much as he loved John. Jesus could love perfectly. Us, we struggle with that. Amen? He loved Pilate as much as he loved Peter. He loved Annas, the high priest, as much as he loved Andrew. He loved the man who tore open his back. He loved the man who beat the crown of thorns onto his head with the rod. That's our example. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never been publicly flogged. I've been verbally flogged publicly, but I've never been publicly flogged. I don't know what it's like to have a crown of acacia thorns beaten into my head. I have no idea what that's like. And Jesus says, pray for those who spitefully use you. And to him, notice how this continues, who strikes you on the one cheek, offer to him the other also. And to him who takes away your cloak, don't forget to give him your tunic. Now, most people only had the cloak. They didn't have the tunic. The tunic was an outer covering. And it was, in essence, just for show. It was more a status symbol. And what Jesus is saying is, it's not worth it to have the stuff and to lose the the people. It's not worth it to be concerned about things and to lose your opportunity to minister to somebody's heart. He's not talking about government having the power to bear the sword. He's not talking about law enforcement. He's not talking about people whose job it is to keep us safe. That's not what he's saying. He's saying about the attitude of your heart and my heart. 
Are you so loosely hanging on to the things of this life that if somebody took them, you would rather reach them for Christ than have the stuff back? Do you get the picture? That's what he's saying. Are you willing to be castigated so that someone will know that Jesus is Lord? The second thing he draws here is our attitude towards our fellow man. Then give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. Is he talking about it's wrong to be in business and make a profit? He's not saying that at all. He's not talking about if you make an agreement with someone, maybe to buy a house or sell a car or whatever, and they don't pay you, that it's wrong to ask them for the money that they told you they would give you. He's again pointing to the heart issue. Are you clinging to the things? Would you destroy somebody's life for the sake of some bucks? Because if you're going to lose your witness, give them the money. That's what he's saying. If you're going to lose your witness in this world over stuff, then you have the wrong perspective doesn't mean you become a doormat. It doesn't mean that you walk down the street with your wallet out and just huck stuff into the air. It means do you care about people more than you care about your stuff. And just as you want men, a verse that you all know, we call it the golden rule, and just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. Family of God, I do believe that that one verse would solve every one of the world's problems if we lived it out. If everybody on this earth would simply look at other people the way we look at ourselves and the way we want to be treated, the whole planet would be fixed. Because it'd be kingdom. It'd be Christ in us living in everyone if we'd simply do that. Because it gives the focus that Jesus had. It's others first. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even the sinners love those who love them. Amen? I I guarantee you, you can like the most vile of heathen sinners. If somebody walks up to you and hands you a million bucks, all of a sudden you're going to be going, yeah, I don't really care what you do. Love you, bro. It's easy to love people who love you or do good things to you. And if you do good things to those who do good to you, for what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? Isn't it funny how some people in the body of Christ act just like the world? You know, we've had people in this church that thought that this church was a place where they could come drum up their own business. And the only reason they're here is to try and get people in this church to give them money. If you have any questions about somebody asking you for money in this church, would you please call me? Because every once in a while we get somebody in this church who just does nothing but come around and try and weasel money out of all of you. That's not why we're here. What he says is, for even sinners lend to sinners to receive back as much. Begins to focus in, but love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Do you get it? One of the surest ways to draw people to Jesus is to be kind to people who don't deserve it. Amen? It is. It's unbelievably attractive. 
We have a lot of people who come and take advantage of, of our food ministry here. And in using the phrase, take advantage, that's exactly what I mean. They're actually coming to take advantage. They, they make their livelihood going from place to place to place, in essence, taking from people whose hearts are good. But you know what? I'd rather they took from us whose hearts are good that we have an opportunity to share with them than to go the other way, which is to say, you know what? Forget them. All right, so somebody who's a mooch got several bags of groceries. Frankly, if we get a chance to tell them about Jesus, it's worth it. Matter of fact, give them a few more bags of groceries. Hunt them down, give them some money. I don't care. Because I know what Jesus would do to reach them. His word's very clear. Doesn't mean that at times we don't get frustrated. It doesn't mean at times people aren't actually doing evil. We address the evil. But we need to make sure that people understand who Jesus is through our actions. And therefore be merciful, just as your Father is also merciful. And He says, judge not, lest you should be judged. Condemn not, and you won't be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Those are contrasting statements, are they not? They provide the contrast thusly. You better be careful how you judge, because you're going to get judged the same way. If you judge harshly, you'll be judged harshly. If you're unforgiving, people are going to have a tough time forgiving you. If you're just one of those people who's critically open about how poorly you feel about others, people will have that same view of you. And we'll get more on this when we continue this. You see, he's not talking about not judging. He's talking about judging wrongly, incorrectly. The body of Christ, in fact, has been commanded to judge. And I, very specifically as a pastor, have been super commanded to judge. I have to. It's part of my job. Give, and it will be given to you in good measure. Pressed down, shaken, running together, running over, it will be put into your bosom for the same measure that you use. And here it is. For the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So if you're unmerciful, you're going to get measured some unmercifulness. If you're unforgiving, you're going to get measured unforgiving. If you're legalistically judgmental, you will be legalistically judged. That's what he's saying. So be careful how you do everything is what he's getting at. Make sure your motivation is correct and stop worrying about other people's motivations. Let God deal with their motivations. I can't tell you how many conflicts I've had to be in the middle of because one person thought they understood someone else's motivation. Family of God, I don't even know my own motivation sometimes. Anybody else have that problem? You know, all of a sudden you're doing something. You don't even know how you got there. You're like, how did I get here? We're not the sharpest tools in the shed sometimes, amen? As you start thinking about your own heart, isn't yours deceitfully wicked and who can know it? You can pretty much assume so is everybody else's. So they're going to do some wrongly motivated things. You're supposed to help them see Jesus, not just simply find their faults. And there are a lot of fault finders in the body of Christ. And you know what I found out in my long time in ministry? 
that people who are fault finders have more than their own share of faults. Matter of fact, I've yet to have anybody in my office who didn't have their own share of faults. Now, you may not have the faults that someone else has got. You may be more victorious in that particular area of life. But I can tell you this, y'all got some faults. Every last one of you. Every last one of you has faults. Some of them are more visible than others. And some of them are just as wicked and invisible. Amen? I've bumped into some people, and man, I wouldn't want to know what they're thinking about me. You can see it in their eyes. Just like, there's something going on there, and it's not good. Be careful. Because you can get judged. And he spoke a parable to them. He begins to just simply illustrate now. Can the blind lead the blind? Well, duh. Well, that's a recipe for success. You got one blind guy, grabs another blind guy, and tries to lead him somewhere. Where do you think they're going? Nowhere fast, amen? It's like, hello. I love the way Jesus does this. Because you, you automatically go, well, duh. You know, the light goes on, the epiphany happens. Will they not both fall into a ditch? Yep. That's exactly what will happen. And so don't get your counsel from the world. That's what he's saying. Don't get your counsel from some pharisaical legalist. Get your counsel from God's Word. Read what it says and then do it. Don't follow some blind guy. Disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. You get the picture? We're supposed to be like Jesus. Not Jeff. Jesus' name, do not follow Jeff. Every once in a while, I, you'll go off a cliff. I had it this morning when I drove down to the 3.30. You would have been on a cliff. I'm sitting there looking at the traffic. I was not thinking, oh, bless you. I just wasn't. And some of you have the same sickness, I know. Praise God, I'm redeemed. You drive out onto the highway and you get behind somebody and there he is. The guy who got the disposable chains at Walmart at the bottom of the hill in the traffic lane sideways because he didn't pull over. And everybody's backed up behind him. I wasn't thinking, God bless him. I eventually did. It just took me a while to get there. Every once in a while we go off a cliff, don't we? It's because we're not perfect. We're supposed to be like Jesus. And sometimes we're all not like Jesus. Amen? Don't forget that. But we're supposed to be like Him. So it comes down to what we practice. You see, we, these things, being generous with your funds, those are contrary to us. You ever notice, and I want you to think about it, you don't have to raise your hands. I guarantee you, probably nobody in this room has not done this. You walk up to, because if you're going to give money, you say, give to the Salvation Army. They do good things with it. Every Christmas you go, and there's the guy with the salvation and, and while you're walking there, here's what happens. You know what you got in your wallet, because you know every dollar that's in here, don't you? 
especially us guys. And we've got them in order, at least I do. The, the ones are on one side and the fives are over here. And, the, and you get down and there's that, there's that sacred place that you tuck the hundred that you're going to use for Christmas presents. And you're walking up to that kettle and God's going, give him the hundred. And you're like, no. <laughs> and you're thumbing through and you try. And then you pull out the scuzziest ones that you got in there, right? And you drop those in the kettle. That's kind of how we are spiritually sometimes. The Lord's speaking to us. He's saying, do good to these people. Give them your best. It's my money anyway. I put it in your wallet. And you walk over and you just argue with God. And you're like, mm, okay, I'll give them two bucks instead of one. Jesus is saying, give and it shall be given unto you. Is that simple enough for you? The principle is this, you can't outgive God. You can't. And when He's speaking to you, just simply do it. God has a way of working those things out. I've lived this life long enough to tell you that God has a way to work these things out. I've actually had two, not just one, but two experiences where I reached into my wallet believing I knew where something was and then in giving it to the person I found, I just gave him a 50. And you're freaking out. You're like, I just gave him a 50. And God's going, "Uh uh-huh, you just did. Because it's my money. Be generous. The Lord is generous. Be kind. The Lord is kind. Be merciful. The Lord is merciful. You get the picture? He's saying, be like me. Know how the Lord hates stinginess. He hates legalism. And the third thing, how about our human faults? Is there anybody in here who's perfect? My hand just went down. I just wanted to do it for explanation. Nobody in here is perfect. Amen? We all have our faults. So if you have your faults, you should probably want other people to view you the way the Lord views you and not just see your faults. Amen? Verse 41. Why do you look at the speck in... I love this story. This is one of my favorites. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? The word that's used here for speck actually could be taken almost to the microscopic level. I mean, it is so small that it's actually not visible unless you're really looking hard, okay? The speck in your brother's eye. It's in there, but at first glance you would not even be able to see it. That's the inference here. This is not like, you know, a a stick or something that, you know, because I've heard people explain this this way without an adequate understanding of the original language. He's talking about something that you can't see without actually really staring. A speck, a piece of dust, something so small you actually can't see it. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? The word plank translated there is actually the deck board from a ship. Okay, We're talking a big hunk of lumber. So you've got a tiny spot you can't see, and you've got the deck board from a ship stuck in the guy's head. Okay, Out of his eye. You can't perceive the plank in your own eye. Why would he say something that's that contrasting? Because that's how lame we can get at times with being legalistic and judgmental. 
Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that's in your eye when you yourself don't see the plank that's in yours? Now think about it for a second. He uses the word, we all love it, hypocrite. It's a Greek word. It actually means actor, but it actually really means multi-faced. A hypocrite is someone who's multi-faced. The Greek actors actually sometimes would wear as many as four masks. They would put them on their head simultaneously and they could change character. They'd have on one side, they'd have the happy and they'd have the sad on the back and they, they would just simply flip them around as they acted. You could throw in there a two-faced, don't be two-faced. Don't wear a mask. Because the, the rule of thumb here is, I have always got a big old board hanging out of my eye in some area of life. What are you worried about the speck in somebody else's for? Deal with the log that's in your own. First remove the plank in your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit. Notice how it ties right back into works. Good tree doesn't bear bad fruit. Bad tree doesn't bear good fruit. Amen? For every tree is known by its fruit. So if you're one of God's trees, what kind of fruit are you supposed to have? Good fruit. If you don't have good fruit, how do we know something doesn't have good fruit? We actually inspect it, don't we? I don't know about you, but when you go to the supermarket, I don't think most of you walk over to the fruit display and just start grabbing stuff, put it in the bag, and the way you test it is by biting into it. I don't think you do that. I think you actually inspect the fruit. Matter of fact, it's kind of fun to watch people do that. I mean, they take one, they roll the orange around and then hold it up to the light. And they're doing all kinds of things to check the fruit, amen? So he's not talking about not judging. He's talking about judging correctly. Good fruit's very, very clear. And you actually have to inspect it to know whether it's good fruit or not. But what he is saying is this. You can tell a tree by the fruit that comes off of it. So when someone's actions are not good, that's bad fruit. When someone's life doesn't match up to the Bible, bad fruit. You get the picture? It's very clear. And so he says, For men don't gather figs from thorns, and they don't gather grapes from a ramble bush, and a good man out of the treasures of a good heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of an evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. It matters what you do. Because what's inside eventually gets outside. Amen? All of you have likely had this experience as well. You're talking to somebody... They say something absolutely insane, out of their minds, wrong, completely off the mark, and they say to you these words, I didn't mean to say that. Do any of you believe that that's the truth? The answer is no. They meant exactly to say those things because you have to think of something in order to say it. It doesn't just blurt out like there's a spot over here where it comes from your mind and ah, there it is. Out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. So out of the good fruit, good things. Out of the evil fruit, evil things. The same is true for your actions. Now you can see how all this gets tied together. 
You see, you can't say you love somebody and see him in need and not do something with it. You can't say that you have care and compassion for somebody, and when there is a reason for you to give them care and compassion, you just say, well, I hate your guts. And so he uses this picture of a tiny speck in a log. He uses the picture of somebody who's blind. He uses these word pictures for us to contrast the legalism of someone who's judgmental with the love that somebody ought to have if they really understand exactly who we are in Christ. Amen? And that's the issue. When I see me correctly, I see everybody else correctly. When I think I've arrived, then everybody else is deficient. It's that simple. When I think I've made it, you know, I'm finally, I've crested over the hump, and I'm now super Jeff, spiritually. Then from that position, all y'all don't look so good. So what Jesus is saying, remember who you are. Remember your own blind spots. Remember your own logs. Remember that there's times when you have need. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Matters what you do. And so as we have a run out of time, we'll pick up the remainder of it next time. But let me leave you with this. James said it this way. Be ye therefore a doer of the word and not a hearer only deceiving yourself. Amen? That's what Jesus is saying. If you're really a hearer, remember what he said Jesus did initially in this passage? They were hearing. Everybody was hearing. The problem was they weren't doing. Let's make sure that our doing matches what we've heard. Amen? Because it does matter what you do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. And Lord Jesus, how these words must have caused those when they heard them the first time to check their own hearts and minds. And Lord, we do the same this morning. Just expose to us, God, those areas that we need to change. Lord, maybe we've been discompassionate or unforgiving. Lord, maybe we've been judgmental about something this last week. God, perhaps we're not forgiving as we should. We've been maybe unmerciful. Lord, someone desperately did not need what they had earned or deserved. Maybe one of our children, God, had done something and we've applied some measure of punishment that just doesn't even befit the crime. God, would you help us to be like Jesus? Lord, help us to consider other people as we consider ourselves. Help us to see our own selves correctly as in need of your love and your forgiveness and your tenderness and your gentleness. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask all of this in the mighty name of Christ, our Lord. Amen.